The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today and tuning in. I'm Diane Ray. I really appreciate you taking a a few minutes, uh, taking some time to join me in my little area of the Internet here on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday we go live at 1 Pacific, 3 Central, and 4 Eastern on UnityOnlineRadio.org and talk to some amazing people. And today I'm, I'm really excited for my guest today because I think we really need her today, especially after last night's debate. I mean, we need some con- clarity from the confusion. I mean, I'm feeling all kinds of, you know, weird emotions and energy, and I'm, I'm sure you are too. So my guest today is going to help us transform confusion into clarity with a simple process that has its roots in ancient shamanic wisdom. And these are tools that we can draw on in a moment's notice to transform difficult feelings and emotions and move through our days with more peace. And who doesn't want that, right? I mean, <laughs> I could definitely use more peace in my day-to-day life here. So I'm happy to welcome my guest, Heather Ashamara. And she weaves the most powerful practices of shamanic traditions to support each individual in the manifestation of their highest potential. And she's apprenticed under shamanic healer Vicki Noble in 1991. And starting in 1994, she apprenticed with and taught extensively with Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements, just such a powerful teaching there, before founding the Toltec Center of Creative Intent in 2001. And the book that I've been spending some time with is just a really amazing practice that I'm so excited to get into here. Her book is called The Warrior Heart Practice, and it gives us a process to move through difficult emotions and transform confusion into clarity and pain into peace. And she joins us from one of my very favorite cities, Austin, Texas, the 512. And Heather Ash, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Diane. It's great to be here with you. Well, I really love your book, and I've been spending a lot of time with this, uh, reading over, re- reading it over, and, and even doing some of the practices. It's very experiential, the book, and so I'm. There's things that I've kind of dog-eared that I'm going to go back to, and really spend a, more time with. You know, I tried to read it through so I'd really be prepared to talk to you today, and these are, are really powerful teachings. I really think people are going to benefit from this. And I just wanted to get to know you a little bit better. I know that you've appeared on Unity Online Radio before with our friend uh, Paul John Roach. You've had such an interesting life. I was reading in the book, you've traveled all over the world and spending time in places like Thailand and Singapore. And I was just curious about your life growing up. You know, were you brought up in any spiritual traditions growing up or did you kind of seek and search on your own as you got older? Mm, such a great question. My parents were really supportive of my sister and I really doing whatever we wanted to. And growing up in Southeast Asia, traveling around a lot, I was really affected by just what I was seeing and how people lived in a spiritual way. They were deeply connected to each other. They had a sense of 
spirit. And so I tried a lot of different, you know, I, I studied different religions, I studied different spiritual traditions. Uh, went to, I remember going to a Christian camp when I was in seventh grade because all my friends were going. Um, and was really blessed to be able to explore and, and listen to what worked best for me. I love that because I've been very interested in that too, uh, growing up. And, you know, I was brought up Catholic, but, you know, reading about different spiritual traditions and, you know, going with friends to temple. I had a, a lot of uh, Jewish friends growing up in school. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's so interesting to be able to explore all of these amazing teachings and traditions. And I was curious how you came to the work of Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, of course, I've read The Four Agreements. I mean, who hasn't, right, at this point? <laughs> you know, it's just such an important book uh, and has been around for a while, such great teachings. Um, and also I had a chance to uh, meet his son, Don Jose. And so how did you come to be, um, you know, working with him and studying with him? You know, it's interesting. It, this was before there was a four agreement. And I was studying with another teacher and I knew this apprenticeship was coming to a close. And I felt like something in my life was missing, but I couldn't name what it was. And I had a dream about a man that was going to come into my life and make, like, everything was going to change. That was the feeling sense of the dream. And I remember waking up thinking, right, where am I going to find this guy when in, I live in a tiny town in Northern California? And literally the next week, someone came into my office and said, oh, my God, you have to meet this man. And my whole body, I was like, oh, no, I am not ready for this. But a visceral reaction. I knew it was the person I was supposed to meet, and I also knew I wasn't ready. And so it took me a year. And over that year, I, I really did a lot of deep inner work. And then the next year, I met Miguel and the group, and I was in. I was just 100% dove into the Toltec teachings for the next many, many years. <laughs> That must have been so amazing because uh, I've been able to uh, meet Don Miguel and, you know, he seems like such a, a soft-spoken guy, you know, but there is kind of a, a powerful presence that, that emanates from him. You know, you know you're in the presence of a wise one when you get a chance to spend some time with him. And can you just tell people who aren't really familiar with the, the teachings, the Toltec traditions, what exactly does that mean? The Toltec were a group of people that came together in South and Central Mexico to study perception. So this was um, around like 100 AD. And they were really interested in the intersection of how we perceive reality and what they called dreaming, how we dream the world, and also considered themselves artists of the spirit. And so this idea that the Toltec brought forward was that we needed to we need to clear out the old agreements, beliefs, noise that we have in our system so that we can perceive the more the world as it is and then choose how we want to dance, how we want to create our art in relationship with life. Right. It's it really is fascinating and also kind of encompassing the work of Carlos Castaneda. Maybe some people are familiar with him. You know, the, the teachings of Don Juan, like bringing our, our dreaming into reality. Would, would that be similar? Yes, exactly. 
Carlos Castaneda and Don Juan, that was another Toltec lineage. So when the Spanish invaded Mexico, the belief is there were 12 different Toltec lineages that then split off and went underground. And it wasn't until Don Juan told Carlos Castaneda, bring the Toltec teaching back to the public. That was the first time the teachings came back. And then really the next big wave of public Toltec teachings with, with, was with Don Miguel and the publication of Four Agreements. Right. And then things just blew up at, at that point, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is great. I mean, that so many people were able to become familiar with those teachings, with, with, which when you distill them down, you know, it's really such practical information, just really practical spirituality, um, which has a, a lot in common with unity, which is really practical spirituality as well. So I noticed that, you know, as I was looking over the book, you know, your book came out at the beginning of the year, right before we were hit with this pandemic. And have you been able to teach this practice to people during these really difficult times and, and how to manage things by using the, the warrior heart practices? I have. It's been, you know, challenging for so many of us. And so to have a tool like the warrior heart practice and be able to share it with people online has been a uh, just a lifesaver for a lot of people. And I know that it's a practice I go to myself because like the four agreements, when you have a tool that's simple, it's also like there's so many layers to all of what we're navigating right now that it helps us use the tool to clear out what doesn't serve us. And so often, especially during the pandemic, I've talked to so many people that they're un- they're not sh- un- they don't understand. Like, why am I so upset or so confused or so off center? And it's often because something from the past has been evoked and is now coming up for healing. So part of why I love this practice and any inquiry practice will help us do this of dig a little deeper to say, well, what's actually ready to now be brought into the light? and cleared out so that we can bring in something new. Right. I thought it was just so interesting that this book came out right right before all of that hit. And then being able to work through the practices that you share in the book, and we're going to go into that, you know, uh, as, as the show goes on, you know, more will be revealed. But I just thought, wow, how, how unbelievable that the timing of all of this, and then just wondering how you were dealing with it you know, personally, as a teacher, like, okay, here I am teaching this. And then, wow, you know, I'm hit with this unprecedented situation that we're all dealing with. But it really gives you as a teacher a chance to put your teachings into practice for yourself, right? How has that been? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been good. You know, when the the pandemic began, and we had the shelter in place, I had just finished teaching four different retreats all in a row um, and I ended up I was in a retreat center in San Antonio and I ended up sheltering in, in place there and my friend and I were there together and we ended up going live 24-7 for the first week just to stay connected with our community and to you know it just felt like I wanted to hold everyone's hand like we're going to get through this everyone it's going to be okay right. and to have that much interaction and dialogue with other people and to be able to share this tool and use it myself was such a tremendous gift. 
So I'm really great. I mean, what a gift that we have the internet, these different ways to connect while we're learning how to be in relationship with the pandemic. Right. And as a result of the pandemic, really forcing a lot of people to be more in relationship with themselves, right? So this practice kind of came came perfectly. You know, this book came to us at the perfect time where we can really use these techniques and these principles that you talk about in the book, because for a lot of people, this was probably the first time in a long time that they really had to sit down, get quiet, and ask themselves these important questions like, okay, my life is upended right now. What am I going to do? What's the truth of that? What steps can I take? What can I control? What is my intent? That was kind of the lens of which I was looking through, you know, this book and these practices just and really asking myself, you know, those questions. And it's just so powerful. So I'm, I'm excited that we can get into the into it more deeply in this hour. And just to start. So there was something that you introduced in the beginning of the book. Um, talking about the connection between the big soul and the little soul uh, that you teach in the book. And and I saw as I was reading it, I thought, is the big soul similar to the subtle body that is taught in Eastern philosophies? And then the little soul is really our ego or sense of self. Is is that kind of a, a you know, <laughs> does that make sense? Or am I understanding it yeah. not really correctly? Yes, it's that's exactly it. That the the big soul is what I think of as your essence. It's the part of us that's connected to all of life, to God, Goddess, Creator, and that is eternal. And the little soul is a part of us that believes it's separate. It's this personality, ego, self, and. You know, I always remind people we're not here to, to like destroy the ego or like make it go away. It doesn't work so well. We're learning. Right. We're here to learn how to <laughs> connect the little soul back to the big soul. So it's like connecting this this little child self back to its mama. Like right. you're held. And you're okay. You're safe. We got gotcha. you. And often the little soul gets disconnected and starts looking outside. And trying to figure out how do I stay safe? How do I be okay? How do I make everyone like me or whatever? It's it gets preoccupied with. Right. It's such an interesting concept, isn't it? Like I love how you explain that connection. So really the big soul, the connection to the divine source in the universe, how how we understand that, right? Depending, I guess, on what we were taught or, or traditions or you know, how we feel in our heart, what is our connection to that divine source, and then the little soul being, and I love that you said, you know, well, you can't really squash the ego, right? You can't kill it or make it go away. It's it's always going to be there. So we have to learn how to really embrace that. I mean, I always wondered when teachers would say, you know, kill the ego and, and how horrible it is. And I thought, but isn't it, isn't it good to have a strong sense of self? You know, isn't that a positive um, I mean, I can see where it gets out of control. You know, we can all see that when you start believing things that aren't true and, you know, making up stories or understanding things about yourself that, that really aren't there. So it's it's just an interesting concept to me, the the ego and, you know, how we try to embrace it. But I like how you describe it in the book, the big soul and the little soul. And And is that right? And really our disconnection from the big soul is what causes us pain. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think about it with the little soul with many things is that you can have an excess or a deficiency. Because some people, they've never really developed their self. Their focus has been so much on who should I be for everyone outside that they don't have a good core sense of self. And that's a problem. And then other people like way over identify with the self. I am only this body. I'm only this experience. Um, and, and are are identified with their old agreements and who they're supposed to be. We want to have a healthy sense of self. Once you have a healthy sense of self, you can then start to dissolve it into the big soul. Wow, that's see, that's interesting. <laughs> Dissolving it into the big soul. Yeah, that's I like that. That's really interesting. I'm talking with Heather Ashamara about her book, The Warrior Heart Practice, which is really an amazing process that we can all use to help us transform confusion into clarity. And if you feel so entitled or desired to join the show, you know, give us a call at 816 251 3555. We can possibly take some calls here. So I wanted to get into the the four chambers where things get really interesting. I mean, I really love any kind of self-inquiry and and it's something in, in reading your book, it really kind of gave me the, um, I, I guess, the push to look at my own stuff, you know, things that I haven't really paid attention to over the past couple of months and, you know, what what my intents are, what my beliefs are, and those kinds of things. So I think that's when things get really good. So there's there's four chambers in what you call it, like the chambers of the heart, four chambers in this practice. And could you tell us what they are? Yeah, those four chambers are the feeling chamber, the story chamber, the truth chamber, and the intent chamber. And the practice is to really untangle, to create separation between these four aspects of ourself, because often what happens is they get tangled together, and we don't know if something's truth or a story. We can't tell the difference between a feeling and a story. There's like this blob. (laughs) And so when we start to create this separation with the intent of cleaning the pieces our life starts to come into clarity and focus. And there's a a spaciousness that starts to grow inside of us as we learn how to be in relationship with our feelings separate from our story. How we can then begin to see the story and then ascertain what's the difference between the story and truth. And as we then get clear, what's my intent? We actually go back through the process to, to finish the untangling. And that's where you say that it's a circular model rather than lineal. So it just kind of goes, you move through these things and it, it kind of goes around e- each one supporting or feeding off the other. Yes, yes. And there isn't a better chamber. Like some, we get so into the linear, like, well, when I go through these four chambers, I'll get to the, the end. <laughs> then I'll be done. And I've designed the practice that it actually reminds us of like nature's circular and that it you don't go through an inquiry practice and do it once and then you're done and you never have to do it again. You understand there's going to be different layers. And so often, especially when we're untangling 
big uh, emotional things that are from childhood or from our ancestral lineage. There's this, this recognition of the beauty of cleaning of taking our time to really untangle and and separate out the pieces. I, I like to think about if you have an engine that's gotten all gunked up, you want to take it apart, clean the pieces, and put it back together again. You don't go, this engine's bad, I'm just throwing it out. It just needs to be cleaned, and that's the truth for many of us. We just need a tool to help us clean our emotions so that we're not carrying all the emotions from the past to help us right. clean up a story and get back to what's true, what's intent. It's so important, right? And, and especially when you've been on this planet for a few years and you're carrying around some stuff, you know, stuff that you don't even realize. And that's why I think this practice is so valuable because you're able to excavate those kind of things in a gentle way and, and let go of it and just clean out so much stuff, like you were saying, to be free you know, letting go of these stories and beliefs that a lot of times are unconscious that you're just holding on to, right, for years. And then it's only when you do a practice like this that you can really see all the stuff that you're lugging around. It's pretty incredible. I bet you've seen some really amazing transformations in your workshops. And you share a lot of, of stories of people's experiences in the book. And I love that because I love to read testimonials and, and things that people have been through. Um, a couple of, of things that I related to, definitely. Yeah, I think it's so important for us to hear other people's experiences. It makes it a lot more real. And I've you know, I I always feel like if I'm going to teach something, I want to have digested it and integrated, and it works. That's why I'm sharing it. And so I share some really personal experiences of myself and of my students in the book, so that we can all know we're in we're learning together. You know, we're on this journey together to clean and create more spaciousness inside of ourselves. And for me, this practice is really dedicated to helping us let go of the weight and the heaviness. So that we can be more attuned to our inspiration, our creativity, our our light. We can we can give our gifts in the world. Right. It really is ingenious the way that this this practice works. <laughs> I think the way that you figured it out. Uh, I really I really like how how it flows. So I know I did notice. I mean, one teacher that I've always loved, uh, the late Ram Dass, and he would talk about the concept of being the witness. And that concept seemed integral in your process. Like you were asking us at several points to step back and look, you know, be the witness of what's happening. And can you talk about that, about that process, that part of the process? Absolutely. You know, in many spiritual traditions, this idea of learning how to witness ourselves rather than and Miguel used to always say this, stop taking yourself so personally. <laughs> right. And to be able to step back and instead of I am this emotion, I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm upset, that place of I'm experiencing sadness, that we understand it's a passing force, that the stories are also, you know, as we learn to witness them, it becomes this like, wow, look at what I'm believing instead of this is reality, this is the way it is. And our life transforms in huge ways 
when we start or continue to stabilize our capacity to witness. And I always like to think about it, witness from curiosity, witness from love. Often right. and we're, to- we're thinking, we're witnessing, but we're actually judging. Yes, I was going to say, you know, taking away the feeling of, well, I'm right, you know, in, in what my belief is at this moment, I'm right, and that's it. And then if you take yourself out of that and observe, it, it's so valuable. I, that's why I love that teaching. And I think more people really need to be aware of it, <laughs> you know, to be able to step back and take a look. And I love how it comes into play into this practice here the concept of being the witness, which is really, I mean, it's nothing new. Like you said, Don Miguel um, has taught it in the Toltec tradition and Ram Dass talked about it. Um, I'm sure from Buddhist traditions or the Hindu traditions that he had studied. So it's, it's something that's been around for a while, that concept. Absolutely. Ancient, ancient concept. And it's, that's one thing when I first started studying Toltec wisdom, I was so surprised by how similar it is to Buddhism, to a lot of Buddhist thought and philosophy. And what I realized is I started going deeper into the Toltec teachings, and I've studied a lot of different religions and spiritual traditions as well, is that really at the core, if you go back to all Earth-based spiritual traditions, there's a piece in there around honoring the earth, honoring the elements, and, and also witnessing, like seeing yourself as part of something larger, and again, that place of not taking yourself so personally, being able to see yourself as a being that's part of something greater than you. So those are really potent and also foundational teachings for all of us to to step into right right and cross and crossing all all boundaries and all traditions right like you said you can see a thread of that in so many other teachings you know in the the buddhist philosophy and and others so it's yeah how that how those threads weave through everything you know kind of also reminding us bringing bringing back to the the truth of you know our are we really all one? Well, yeah, <laughs> it seems it seems yeah. to be, you know, there's the there's a lot of evidence. So we're going to take a short break and be right back to dive in a little bit deeper into the four chambers here and this very powerful and potent warrior heart practice. And my guest today is Heather Ashamara. So I hope you come back. I'm Diane Ray, and we'll be right back. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me through the break. I'm talking with Heather Ashamara today about her powerful practice given to us just in the nick of time when we need it the most, the Warrior Heart Practice. And the book is available right now. If you'd like to check this out, uh, get it at Amazon, your favorite bookstore. This is a very simple but powerful process 
to help us clean things out, transforming confusion into clarity. And we're just starting to get into really the meat of the practice, exploring uh, what Heather calls, Heather Ash calls the four chambers of the warrior heart in the book. And I was telling her during the break, I love this kind of practice. It's so amazing. Just being able to do that kind of self-inquiry is so beneficial. And I wanted to get into, uh, we were talking a little bit before the break of the concept of being the witness, which is really uh, an important part of this process. And I wanted to see if we could get through the chambers and, and talk about what's going on as we're moving through this practice and feeling the one of the chambers, feeling story, truth, and intent. Feeling is really important. You know, I think people don't realize how disassociated they are, they are sometimes between their physical body and their emotional body. You know, learning to experience that. Like I notice when I'm I'm frustrated or angry, I'll feel it in my throat, you know, like it'll get really tight or I'll feel it in my stomach. And is that where in, in the process of feeling, is that what you're trying to do really getting us to get in, in touch with our bodies in that way to feel physically what what our emotions are. Yes, we actually spend a tremendous amount of time exiting our emotional body. <laughs> and so I realized as I was um, bringing this practice in that to actually start with the question, what are you feeling separate from what you're telling yourself is really profound and it seems simple but because we're so habituated to being busy, to having different things, you know, a lot of things going on, I think that's why when the pandemic hit, so many people were really struggling is because they've never had the opportunity to be quiet enough to see what they were feeling. The moment an uncomfortable feeling arises, often we distract ourselves. Right. In some way, yeah. So that that simplicity, again, of just stop, stop everything, get quiet, ask the question, what am I feeling right now? And where am I feeling it in the body? Brings you into the present moment and helps you then begin to unravel the, the tension, the old stories, and the pain that we're holding. And that's all connected to the emotion and where it is in the body. It's so important to be in touch with that. And the and the body and those feelings don't lie. And I just had an experience, I'll share with you real quick, of to my own peril where I didn't listen to feelings that I had in my body where, you know, where you feel something's wrong and, and you shouldn't do something. And, and I had a, a situation where you know, someone was messaging me on Instagram and I thought it was a friend. It turned out to be a scam. They wanted money mm. and, and that feeling, and I should have listened to it. You know, I knew it really wasn't the person they were saying they were. And again, if I had listened and paid attention, I I wouldn't be out the 50 bucks that I am right now, <laughs> you know, cause I was scammed. Yeah. But I mean, that's just a, a small kind of obvious example, but I think that we do tend to ignore the physical feeling and, and reactions that we're having and, and maybe not connecting it to, well, I'm feeling this way because I'm angry or, or something like that. I think it's just amazing how the body is such an intuitive tool and we all have that at our disposal and yet we ignore it, most of us. Mm. 
Yeah, I so agree with you. And we don't even realize we're ignoring it because we're so no. in our heads that we're like, oh, everything, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm working or I'm getting my stuff done or I'm getting crossing things off the to-do list or I'm meditating. You can use anything to distract yourself. And I always tell people, you can also use anything to bring yourself back into the present moment. And it's one of the most powerful tools is coming back into relationship with what's actually happening in your body right now, not what you wish was happening. What's actually happening in your body right now. And that leads to unraveling the old pain so that we can actually be fully present. And the other chamber that we move into, this one I think is is really challenging and fascinating, is the story, bearing witness to the story that you're telling yourself and listening to your fears, leaning in to those fears and doubts, which is so challenging for so many people in our pain avoidant society that you have you had mentioned, you know, we don't want to feel those things, right? We avoid it. We do anything we can to stay out of pain and, you know, telling ourselves these false stories. And I've, I mean, I've caught myself in this trap so many times. And you, can you talk a little bit about that, of, of bearing witness to these things, that these stories and beliefs that we're telling ourselves? Mm, yeah, a challenging one and also so rich and the image when you were sharing the image that came up is like we often spend a tremendous amount of energy keeping if you think about pushing a beach ball underwater and how much attention it takes to keep pushing it down and so when we go into the story chamber what we're doing is saying okay i'm going to let everything up like whatever's going on whatever i'm actually telling myself let me unearth it and bring it up into the light let me bring it up into the air so i can now start looking at it so in the feeling chamber you're giving yourself permission to feel whatever you're feeling without trying to understand it intellectualize it explain it you just feel it and then in the story chamber it's like you step out of the feeling chamber and now when you step into the story chamber The question is, what am I telling myself? And you have to be honest, or you get to be honest, and really look at what's the content in my mind, not what do I wish I was telling myself, or let me make it better. I really tell people, dig, like look at how your, what your, your mind is telling you, where you're judging, where you're feeling victimized, where you're blaming somebody else, and let it come up so that you can see what you're doing to yourself. It takes courage. It does. And then figuring out, well, okay, well, where did that really come from? And I like you say in the book, we spend a lot of time in this chamber, (laughs) probably unnecessarily, you know, coming up with scenarios and dramas. And I mean, I've had whole conversations and scenarios with people. And I was totally wrong. You know, all of all of the time, every time, you know, I've had whole whole interactions with people that never happen and just all of that wasted energy and feeling that goes into keeping a lot of those stories alive. So it's an important piece. Would you say that part is, well, there, there's probably not one piece any more important than the other, right? They, they all kind of interact. They the all chambers. interact. And I, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I say, you don't think about your heart and go, I really like my left ventricle chamber the best. 
you know all your your heart is critical and that it works together and it's really the same thing with our with the four chambers there isn't a better chamber they're all they all need to be separated cleaned up brought back together again and it's not that I mean, our our mind's job is to make up stories but are we making up stories out of fear out of past trauma out of ancestral wounding or are we creating and crafting our stories out of love, out of just joy and inspiration? And once you clean up the old stories, once you bring them up, it's like letting the oil rise so that the oil can come up and go out. Then you can choose what you want to be creating in your life. Right. We have that choice. Giving That's what's so great about this practice, I think, is giving us that power. You know, we, we aren't powerless in, in choosing our realities, what we're going to experience. You know, we really do have a lot more choice than we think we do. And then moving through the story, coming into the truth, right? Putting aside the need to be right and looking at things objectively. And and I love, Byron Katie does some great, you know, work with this, the work, you know, saying, is, mm-hmm. is this really true? You know, the ability to look at things with calm clarity. And that, that can be a challenge too, right? It can, it can. And it's something that we need to learn because often what we do is we step out of the story chamber into the truth chamber and then we write a better story and we call it the truth. So I really teach people how do you ascertain the difference between a story and the truth? We're not taught this. You know, I, I really love it when parents teach their kids the, the warrior heart practice and teach them how to separate out story from truth because I'm like, oh my God, it's going to save them so much time in their life. So much pain. Right. <laughs> Lots of life. therapy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Years of therapy. So, and as adults, we have to, something we have to learn. Um, and it's interesting, you know, the times that we're in right now where the truth is getting blurred so much, where there's a lot of in the media, like, there's this confusion of, like, what's true, what's not true, who do I believe? We, we get to learn how to listen in our body for what's true. Because our bodies are so powerful. So there's two ways to know if something is true. One is you feel it. There's this, this resonance in the body, which is different than the story. With the story, there's this, like, I have to justify, I have to defend, I, I'm, I'm judging someone or I'm victimizing. There's all this energy around a story, whereas the truth, it just drops in, and there's this uh, opening in the body. And you might not even like the truth, but you can feel, yep, this is true. So that's right. one good way to use your body to help you find what's true. And the second is that the truth is always very simple. It's one sentence with a period at the end. And so if you if you say something and then, you know, like this is true and then there's a lot of noise or thought afterwards, everything after the first part of the sentence is all story again. So come back to the simplicity. And that you can always start. And sometimes the story is so compelling, it's really hard to get out of. But I just invite people, start with, I am breathing, period. 
That's true. Right. I am breathing. And that's a great a foundational place. Just start there. I'm just going to hang out with my breath for a little bit to clear the story, to come back into the present moment. And then you can say, okay, what else can, do I perceive as true in this situation? That's a great place to start. Mm. I love that. thing. Okay, that's true. <laughs> and we can go from there. I love what you're saying about how really even even if we're trying to talk ourselves out of it our our bodies we know the truth and I was thinking of you know a, a past relationship that I didn't want to admit was clearly over you know and mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to tell yourself well there's always the yes buts well yes but this and well no and you know you're you're trying to have that chatter but you know I knew in my in my gut at that point, okay, well, this is over, period, (laughs) and just not, and not wanting to, you know, not wanting to admit it, or to letting it go, or or all of those other things, so yeah, it really is interesting that there is a clearly distinctive feeling to the truth, and you can tell yourself whatever, but that won't change, the truth is the truth, (laughs) that's it, you know, I love that. And then I wanted to spend a little bit of time too on intent. So when I was reading the book and working on this, you know, learning how to formulate a focused and committed intention to an outcome, like for throwing myself as as the example, you know, so there's a, a project that I'm working on and, you know, I've had some ups and downs with it and really keeping my intention clear that this is going to be a successful outcome. I see it. I believe it. I think it's a good idea. And I, I don't want to let doubt creep in. But that's my intention that, you know, in, in my case, that the project that I'm working on, this this will have a clear, successful outcome. But it's so moving towards that, you know, I have to just keep that in in the top of my mind, right? And then if I make a mistake or I don't, I have to take personal accountability for anything that goes off the rails, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I love about the intent chamber is that, and that focus that you're talking about of like, where do I want to put my energy? That it does give you the sense of response, self-responsibility. And it isn't punishing myself you know, sometimes people take responsibility of like, I have to punish myself to be responsible. I'm like, no, just be responsible. <laughs> like, it's okay. You can make mistakes. It's all good. That Right. There shouldn't is, be a punishment, yes. right? <laughs> yes. There's no need to punish yourself towards your divinity. You know, it's it's so funny what we do to ourselves sometimes. Um, it really that is. That and- is like your North Star. It's this is where I'm committing to put my energy I'm committing to put my energy towards being loving, being compassionate, finding peace in my body, having abundance. And I always love one word. The intent is one word. It can be any word, but it's what you're willing to commit to as you go back into the experience that you're unraveling. You know, sometimes we hope, well, I'm going to do a practice. I'm going to unravel this difficult situation I have with my beloved, and then everything will be fine. But the truth is, you're going to unravel it inside of yourself, and then you still need to deal with your beloved. Like, there's still going to be stuff to untangle between the two of you and within yourself. 
So having your intent that you can say, okay, I'm going to practice compassion as I then am in relationship with my beloved at this particular tangle we've got going together. For example, this would be with anything, yourself, your work, your beloved, you know, anything, your kids, that you know what you're working towards. And suddenly everything is in service, becomes in service to helping you embody that quality. It's so exciting. I get so excited. <laughs> it is. It's it's really fascinating. And so kind of like dovetailing on that in the chapter in the book called The Art of Stalking, which was so great. I, I thought, oh, wow, it that's really an interesting way to to talk about, you know, bringing your intent to a successful outcome, whatever it may be, like in my case, the example of like a work project, or it could be personal, like you said, a personal relationship with your loved one or kids or anything like that that part I thought was so interesting like the the planning of setting the attention to a successful outcome would that be what the stalking is like setting setting those plans or goals to, to make that final thing a reality that's a part of it for sure really stalking is about gathering the information so that you can make a conscious choice. And the best example that I've found is if you think about a big cat that stalks its prey over days, so it knows where its prey sleeps, where it feeds, all the patterns. And before it attacks, it doesn't just like, I'm, I'm getting it. It's like, let me settle in and watch, and then I'm gonna take action. So in that way, it's really true. What you're doing is stalking yourself, stalking both your strengths and your weaknesses, so that then when you take an action, it's very calculated, not in a controlling way, but in for me, in a very heart-centered way. And we're willing to make mistakes. We're willing to run experiments. We're willing to try. No, I'll gather data, and then I'll use that to try again. Right, right. Because, you know, sometimes we are going to run into roadblocks, things won't initially work out right away, or it may be different than you thought it would be. That's, that's happened Mm -hmm. to me a lot. (laughs) You know, the outcome is different. This wasn't what I planned. Not that this is bad either, (laughs) you know, but this just isn't what I planned. And I when I was reading that chapter, you know, a couple of things that came up to remember, uh, that you mentioned in the book, always remember that divinity is within me. So, you know, kind of always bringing back to that, to the big soul that, that's available to me. And this was a great reminder for me today. Do something every day that feeds my soul. So af- after this interview, I'm going to do something that feeds my soul. <laughs> so I, I thank you for the See, I, I got all these great aha moments as I was reading mm-hmm. the book to put into practice. Um, but I think people don't, you know, may, they don't think of it that way you have this great idea or something going on with a relationship and that, but you don't think that it takes steps to get to the desired outcome, right? You really have to kind of think about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And a lot and, of times we don't. We, <laughs> we don't. Yeah. And we just never learned. And so this is a, a practice that, you know, I, I, I'm like, I wish we had manuals sometimes. <laughs> And we do. We have a lot of manuals. This is a great tool to help us learn how to be 
in right relationship with ourselves and with others and to do it in a really loving way so right, that we're save exploring yourself. yeah we're exploring we're we're untangling and that that cleaning process is joyful that it doesn't have to be well i'll fix myself and then i'll be happy it's like we we're on a journey together let's hold hands with ourselves now is love like hold hands with your intent and with your truth that's going to be what helps you untangle the story is your relationship right, be, with your own intent and your truth right and to be kind to be kind to yourself yes. right how many times yes. do we kick ourselves you know when we're down we're our we're our own worst enemy for sure i'm, I'm harder on myself i think than anybody <laughs> no one says the yeah. things i do to myself nobody would so also i wanted to mention about the practice uh, journaling and meditation are important parts of the practice and tools that come up and you know journaling for me is just something that's always been a challenge i don't know why i mean sometimes i jot down things and i have a, a dream log. I love to write those things down. I think that's a lot of fun. But for me, that part doesn't really come naturally. And I'm sure you've come across this in, in people that have taken your workshops and things like that. I mean, do you have any strategies that you tell people to get a better use of, of this, this part of it to make that easier? Yeah, to, you know, I always love doing the bubbles that can be super helpful. So instead of like, I have to write lines to just write, draw stars, draw moons, draw bubbles. And then in the bubble, like what are the main words? So if you're doing the warrior heart practice, you can be super creative and it might be, I'm going to draw four bubbles in the feeling chamber and just draw a cross and like, here's the feeling chamber. And then what are the words that I associate right now with what I'm feeling? You're not having to write, right now I am feeling da-da-da-da-da. It's just like disappointed, scared, uh, curious, and that there's just these boop, boop, boop. And that you do the same thing with the story. So instead of the lines of just make it art, have fun. You know, what somebody once um, was in one, my early classes with the Warrior Heart Practice, and she went home and created a whole board, this felt board, where she moved pieces, like she had the little piece that was herself, that she moved through these four chambers. It was beautiful. And that was how she was able to integrate the teaching, was through physically moving something across a board. Oh, those are cool ideas. I, I like that because I, maybe people get stuck in that piece that they think, well, I have to write a manifesto of, you know, <laughs> a whole epic miniseries story of, of what I'm going to do or, or what this experience was. And it can be as simple as just writing the word down of what you what you felt, you know, just that feeling or something like that, or may, or even doodling, you know, little little pictures yeah. that that can be really creative, too. Exactly. Yeah, I love the doodling idea. And there's a, this place where if you, we realize that all of us are artists, you know, going back into this idea, we're artists of our life, then how would it work for you? How can you play? How can you explore? And to let go of the idea, because so many of us are like, I'm not an artist. I don't, I'm not creative. You are, we're all creative. Just have to give ourselves permission to play. And I think about it as sacred play. 
Right. Untangling right. through that. And that's play. available to all of us. We can all do that. We can all sing, even if we may be terrible like myself, um, or draw or doodle or that kind of thing. And just encouraging that and exploring that. Those are all great ideas. And also, mm -hmm. like with meditation, I remember when I first started to learn how to meditate and I had always been interested over the years in picking up books and reading about it. And I always told myself, oh, you're doing it wrong and all this. And then I found out there's, you know, really, you can't really do things that, that wrong. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, I wasn't doing, I wasn't that bad. And just like letting go of those judgments. And, and now, you know, I find the, the practice is so much easier. And also when I let go of the idea of you have to stop thinking, you have to be in this state of total non-thinking yeah. bliss. And then realizing that that wasn't possible unless I was dead, that I would have not a thought, you know? So I, I think that's, I think that's funny, but those are, those are great ideas and suggestions to, to work into the practice. And there's, there's so much great information that you've been able to share. I'm glad you've been able to spend so much time with me today. And the best way for people to get in touch with you, I mean, I know you're not really traveling or anything, you know, no one is obviously right now, but do you have any, any plans to do an online course or something where people can really work on this? Yeah, we're about to launch uh, an online membership site, which I'm really excited about. So it's not ready, but we're crafting it. But one thing that we're going to do on uh, my Facebook page, which is Heather Ashamara, is over the elections, November 2nd and November 3rd, my team and I, we're going to do just live streaming on the 2nd and the 3rd to Perfect. support us through that time. Yeah, we're going to need it. I'm so glad this book has been. <laughs> it came out in the nick of time. I've been talking to Heather Ashamara about her powerful practice, the Warrior Heart Practice. Visit her online, heatherashamara.com, and check it out for yourself. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.